book of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. As that's appearing on the screen and you're turning to it, I'll remind you, you probably know my theme tonight is resting in the Spirit. There is a place of rest in the Spirit. And we can approach this in so many different ways. I'll sketch out some ways for you tonight. But my real desire is to preach you to a position tonight where you say, I want more of God, even more than we've already asked for. One of the things I can describe it is like this. Have you ever seen somebody flowing in the maturity of their motivational gifting? I don't necessarily just mean spiritual ministry within the church, but people who are called in the area perhaps of business, it seems so natural to them. People in the area of education or teaching, it just seems so natural to them. Accountancy, it seems so unnatural to me, unnatural to them. Medicine and so on. But, but in the area of spiritual gifts, when you, when you are trying to move in something that God has not called you into, you're not gifted in it, it's never going to be natural. And if God gives you an ability that you never had before, then it's supernaturally natural. So that's the picture I have when there's, there's not stress or striving. It's not inactivity. It's not total passivity. But there is a kind of active resting in God. Let's read these verses. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore let us strive to enter that rest so that you, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I think we can pick up straight away that there is a rest in the spirit, a rest in the presence of God that is both active and restful at the same time. There's something we must do. We are acting, but we're not acting in our own strength. There's something about resting in God, but it is not the rest of total inactivity because we lean on him and depend on his enabling power. The picture on the screen is somebody who is floating on water, treading water. And it's not as easy as it looks. I remember when I was doing my dive training and I was trained alongside my then assistant, Ed Harrop, and, and uh, we, we did it all together. And I remember for d doing the uh, dive master training, we had to perform all kinds of feats in the water. One of the things we have to do, we had to put on all our scuba equipment, everything kitted out, and it is massive amount of equipment. And we had to, under the water, while breathing through the regulator, completely exchange our commitment, every, exchange our, our equipment except for the, um, you know, the combination suit. Had to exchange the regulator, exchange the fins, everything like that. And Ed had big feet, I had small feet, so I had a harder job. Another thing we had to do was to show endurance tests. 
because as a diver, a master diver, you have to you have to be pretty sure that you were a good swimmer, that you know about water and that you can survive. And and endurance tests of swimming great lengths underwater. And one of the tests was we had to stay on the surface of the water, just in swimming clothes, no equipment, for a particular amount of time. I can't remember if it was half an hour or thirty or fifteen minutes. I can't remember. And for me, this is a favorite pastime of mine. Just to be able to sit back and, and tread a bit of water, just to know the gentle movements that will keep you, keep you buoyant. And Ed, who was always very skinny, was negatively buoyant, so he had to work harder. And I could rest just a little bit more, I think, because in those days maybe there was a... Anyway, never mind about that. But now, this is a picture. You know, it's active and passive at the same time. Floating is not total inactivity. There's a positioning. There's a mindfulness. If you forget that you're suspended in water uh, and, and do something that's inappropriate, you're going to be in trouble. Gentle actions, precise actions, but you know it is the water that is holding you up. I like that picture, floating in the spirit. <laughs> that's a, a new one, really. We talk about soaking. We talk about swimming. We talk about flowing, flowing in the spirit, white water, rafting, active, pass, riding the current, swimming. The water is holding you up, but you are propelling your way forward. And all of these in so many different ways, and perhaps each and every one of them is inadequate in its own, but built together, we have something of a comprehensive view of God's spirit, which is summarized in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Being conscious of his presence. Consciously depending on the Spirit's doing power. One of the ways of thinking of the Holy Spirit, never forget that the Holy Spirit is a person, personal, but he is God's power in action. God's personal power in action. He's always there to implement the purpose of God. And you can describe the Holy Spirit in many ways. Benny Hinn, leaning strongly on Catherine Kuhlman's teaching, says, Holy Spirit, you're my best friend. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Yonggi Cho of Korea says, the Holy Spirit's my senior pastor. John Vincent Taylor said, the Holy Spirit is the go-between God. By that, he meant that in mission, the Holy Spirit is the one who connects us together with other people so that we can lead them to Christ and witness to them. But in many ways, the Holy Spirit is the go-between God because the Holy Spirit goes between God and us. For me, the Holy Spirit is God, God in action. And therefore, the spiritual rest that I'm talking about tonight is about learning to live in his active presence while at the same time responding to his every movement in us and through us, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Wow. I'm sure this is better than Prozac, though, if you're, if you're prescribed anti-tranquilizing medication, carry on and let doctors give you advice. But I'll tell you something. The rest of God is so valuable. We're living life under pressure, and the pressure's increasing, it seems to me. It's certainly the pace of life, money pressures, accommodation pressures, housing pressures. Don't worry, the list is long. You'll feel better when I'm finished. Job pressures, employment pressures, study pressures, exam pressures, revision pressures. There's students here tonight. Relationship pressures, 
church pressures. That had to be there. Maybe it should be higher up the list, but I put it down to hide it a little bit. Church pressures. Pressures from sickness, illness, tests and trials and people pressures. Wow. Thank God, Jesus says, I will give you rest. Matthew 11 says, verse 28, this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of the New Testament, all of the Gospels. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Not rest. Go with the flow. Rest. Say it again. I'll give you Thank you. <laughs> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Soul rest is the most important of all. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Praise God for that. Now, when we think about entering into the rest of God, there are several, several aspects to this. Let me, let me sketch it out and hope that tonight I'm providing the right kind of fuel for you to prepare you for a moment of time when we, we invite you to come forward. We've got, the, we've got the carpet rolled out. This is the welcome carpet for the Holy Spirit. You front row people, are you, gonna, are, on, are you on the ministry team? Okay, because at the moment you... We need, we'll need that space in a very little short amount of time. And just to say to you why, why, why we do this, the, the floor is wooden and that's fine. And, and when God comes on you, you don't look at what's on the floor. You just, you just go for it. Back in the old days, a hundred or more years ago, Azusa Street, it was a sawdust floor. And the most spiritual people, the people who were covered in the most sawdust. But there is, a, I think, in these evening services, an opportunity to spend just a bit more time there's nothing about preconditioning you in any way. You, you don't manufacture anything. But if the Holy Spirit comes on you and, and you feel that you, you need to go down, then, then you go down and we can keep you there resting just for a moment. Uh, and it's about soaking in the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, we had nightly meetings of this resting and, and some of the staff were so exhausted, RT, they would queue up first for prayer so they could spend the rest of the evening on the floor resting. <laughs> well, whatever is your need tonight... Three things about entering into the rest. Number one, it is a promise that God will fulfill. It's a promise. It will be fulfilled. John, Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45. This is the end of, of a whole series of conquests of the promised land. They had to go in to dispossess it and then take possession of it. And the purpose and the promise is that God said, I'll give you rest which meant rest as you take possession, rest from the enemies, a place where you can dwell and you can prosper and you can flourish. Joshua 21 verse 43 says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came 
to pass. Well, just the thought of that is restful. But notice the, uh, the nature of this rest. It's, it's an active rest. The rest came about as they, as they had to go in to conquer the land and move forward in faith, possess the land, inhabit the land, cultivate the land. It was an active rest. When I talk about resting in the spirit, it is not the rest of total inactivity when all the molecules just cease to move. No, no, no. It's restful, but it's also active. And it was a purposeful rest. The rest in this land was not at the end of the road, no, nothing more to be done, nothing more to be accomplished, but it was the purpose of fulfilling God's promise and taking possession of the land and multiplying and growing strong and becoming a light to the nations. The activity was with God. God was with them. That's the most restful knowledge of all, that God is with you. And as we say in West Africa, Sidam for if you go right with the righteous. Anybody speak Creole? Anybody know what I said? Hey, take it easy. Sit back. Relax. Rest. Trust. It goes well with the righteous. Acting with God, not acting without him. The most stressful of all things is doing something without God. Without God's blessing, without God's promise, without God's purpose, without his presence. That doesn't mean to say that when you are stepping out with God that it's going to be easy. It's not about that. But it's knowing that God is with you. That's the most encouraging thing of all. And God promises that kind of rest. Now, that same picture is picked up in the book of Hebrews to take us to this next point. It's not just a promise to be fulfilled. Rest is an inheritance to obtain. An inheritance to obtain. That's the passage I read from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, and that's referring back to this passage, Many, many years later, if Joshua had given them rest, that God would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Another day, because it says in Psalm 95 uh, that there is a promised rest of God. And, and, And so the promise of God's rest was not totally exhausted with the conquest and, in, and uh, possession of the land. There was another rest that was coming and that geographical rest was pointing to something else, pointing to an inheritance greater than any geographical location to any plot of land, whether, whether it is in the Middle East or anywhere else. So verse 9 of Hebrews 4 says, There remains therefore a Sabbath, a rest for the people of God. Now it's very interesting this concept of Sabbath rest. You know, it goes on to say that if you've entered God's rest, you have ceased from your own works just as God ceased from his works. That's a bit confusing. What's that all about? Remember, God created the world in six days. And the sixth day, he created humanity Humanity being the crowning work of God's creation and and everything else apart from the creation of man was complete. And so God created us and put us into a world that was perfect and good and complete. 
And at the end of that act of creation or that process of creation, it says, God rested. What does it mean? God took a nap. God said, wow, that was a bit exhausting. No, 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 no. What it means, first of all, is that he stopped the work of creation. He finished it. He accomplished it. Rest here, Sabbath means a cessation of activity. So what it means is God finished his creation. He'd come to the end of that work of creation. Hadn't come to the end of working, but the end of that creation. And why? Because it was finished. It was finished, it was completed, it was accomplished. And into that finished, accomplished work of creation that God did, he invited humanity to come into and enter into his rest. Enter into the blessing and benefits of his completed work of creation. What does that remind you of? Does it remind you of Jesus who cried on the cross, it is finished, and when we are saved, we cease from our own works and we put all our trust in the completed, perfect, accomplished, finished work of Jesus on the cross. So that's very powerful. But it doesn't end there because when it says that God ceased and rested, it meant that he stopped his work of creation Ceased it because it was finished, but he never stopped working. R.T. quoted, I think, in every sermon today, uh, uh, um, uh, John chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus, who was, who was criticized for healing on the Sabbath, said, My Father is working. He's always working. In the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day lasted from that day right till this. We enter the Sabbath rest of God when we step into the finished work of Jesus Christ, but that's not the end of activity. A different kind of activity comes forth. When God finished creating, he continued working. He rested from his work of creation, but he continued working with another activity. The creation that was created was also to be sustained. The universe is sustained by the word of his power. If God withdrew that word, the whole thing would disintegrate. He sustains it. He upholds it. And he governs it. He rules it. Isn't that amazing? That's why the Jewish people had as a picture of the messianic kingdom, the picture of the Sabbath the Sabbath, the messianic kingdom, the place of God's government, the place of God's shalom, the place of God's completion, the place where God continues to uphold his goodness and express it in every part of creation. So it is a promise to be fulfilled. And I've just said, it's an inheritance to gain. What is interesting to me is when we, we go on from that verse that we finished with, Verse 10 of Hebrews 4, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive. Wait, 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 wait a bit. You're talking about rest, Colin. Now you're talking about striving. Yes, yes. We're talking about making effort. Don't, don't ever think that the Christian life, you don't have to make any effort. You can make no effort to be saved, but once you are saved, you need to be enabled by the Spirit to work in cooperation with God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I don't know if you 
know about this, but uh, there have been many different ways of interpreting the book of Hebrews and this rest. Some people say, enter, labor to enter that rest. That rest is the rest of heaven. In which case, you have to work hard to get to heaven. No, it's not about salvation. No, no, no. The rest is the rest of faith and faith plus nothing. You simply put your trust in Christ, which usually means you transfer your trust from yourself, your self-effort, into the works of Jesus. Now, to qualify for the inheritance, you need to be saved, but it's not the same as being saved. It's something else. Others have said, well, you know, this is about spirituality. This is about sanctification. And there are people who teach that. People who teach that as you move forward in God and open up to the Holy Spirit, you come to a place where you can rest from all your striving because the Spirit of God takes over and you are entirely sanctified. Now, I would love to dream about that and I think we should attain to that because the Apostle John says, I write these things to you that you may not sin. In other words, we, we seek holiness and we continue to grow in holiness, but this isn't an experience that we get one day when we climb some mountain with God and come down the other side entirely sanctified. But holiness and sanctification is important, and it's part of this because to qualify for the inheritance, not only do you need to be saved, but you also need to continue to be sanctified. This very book says, book of Hebrews says, that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's not about going to heaven. It's about getting to know him and having his revelation grip your life in, in, in increasing measure. So it's not about salvation as such. We need to be saved in order to qualify for inheritance. It's, it's not about sanctification, although that's a part of it. This passage is the promise of a reward. It's a reward of faith plus something. We are saved by faith plus nothing. We are sanctified by faith plus obedience, but we receive the reward of God's well done by faith plus a diligent life lived in faithfulness to God. I think it's a bit like one of the parables that says, and Jesus says, what will happen when people have been faithful and lived for God and given God everything and been obedient and lived that life, God will say, Jesus will say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I think that's what he's talking about here. So there's a promise to be, to be fulfilled and an inheritance to gain. And that's a lifelong ambition. Oh, wow, we need the Holy Spirit. That not only do we start right, but we keep right and we go on right to the blessed end. Amen and amen. Finally, this evening, before we come to pray, I want to tell you this. It's not just a promise to be fulfilled or an inheritance to gain. It's an, an experience to be enjoyed. This is, where, this is where the Holy Spirit really comes in. I'm not saying you're going to walk around every day, every moment of every day without that sense, you know, uh, 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 with that sense of perfect internal rest. But, you know, when you, when you still your heart and you settle down and you come before God, you can find that place of quiet rest. In quietness and confidence should be your strength. And we need to learn this. There's a stillness on the inside where we meet with God. 
it's the, the holy place. The most holy place was not a place of noise and fuss and stress and striving. It was a place of complete rest as we are stilled by the presence of God. And the more we, we learn to live in that and maybe even tonight spend extended times in his restful, peaceful, joyful presence, the more easier it is to flow in that same thing when we go out and meet the stresses of life. Jesus said it when he said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is a rest from the heavy burdens of life. Let's just start there. That much is obvious. You know, cast your care upon him because he cares for you. You don't have to carry it alone. God will strengthen you, whatever you're having to carry. I'm not saying that you can always easily shake off the backpack of heaviness and burden that you have to carry, but he will be with you. He'll help you. But here it's not just about the general heavy burdens of life, though it's included specifically. This is about the heavy yoke of religion. The yoke of heavy burdens of life, he'll help you carry them. Legalistic religion, and there's no burden heavier than that. He doesn't even expect you to carry that. In Acts chapter 15, verse 10, this is put in this way when some of the leaders of the early church were just discussing how, how can we have fellowship with the Gentiles because we Jews, we have our rules and regulations, our dietary restrictions and things like that. How do we have table fellowship? And they came together to think about it and, and they came up in the Holy Spirit with some solutions as to how they could, how they could really relate to one another and, 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 and without putting the heavy yoke of Mosaic law upon the necks of their Gentile disciples and friends. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Particularly, it was the question of circumcision. And Paul addresses very much the same thing in Galatians 5 verse 1 when he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There is no heavier yoke, no greater bondage than the idea that you and I have to do something before God will accept us. Let that yoke of religion go forever. So the yoke of the heavy burden of religion, Lord, you take up in place of it. Take up the yoke of the kingdom. He says, be yoked to me. Being yoked to Christ is talking about not a religious yoke, but a relational yoke. Being yoked to Christ. And the picture here is oxen plowing together. And, and he says, just hook up with me. Get yoked to me. Learn from me. Discipleship is keeping in step with the Spirit. And this isn't a literal thing that we literally follow Jesus physically, as the early disciples did, but it's for us keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, not dragging behind. If one ox was dragging behind, it'd have to be jerked forward or rushing ahead. It would be uncomfortable. The whole thing didn't work. It only worked when they walked side by side in tandem 
and in unison. That's the great secret of walking with God. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Many, many years ago, I sat in the back of this church way back in 1970. Oh, dear, sorry. 1992, sorry. No, 1972, I was right the first time. Many, 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 many years ago. Amazing. See, walking in the Spirit keeps you young and fresh, as you can see. Okay, never mind. We won't go there. And I, was, I felt such a call for preaching and teaching that I rushed right out of the church and tried to do it, but it was the right word, but wrong time. Rushing ahead doesn't work. And that's a big difficulty for me because when I get something from God, it seems to be so real, so present, that if I don't do it in the next five minutes, I think I'm going to miss it. You can never rush ahead of God. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Let him work in us everything that is necessary. Learn from him. And it's also an easy yoke. An easy yoke is a yoke that is particularly shaped to fit you personally. It's a yoke that doesn't chafe. It's a yoke that doesn't rub. And this yoke is designed around you. The, the new you. The true you. The you that he made you to be when he made you in the first place. And the you that he's recreating in you when you surrendered your life to Christ. This is so personal. It's so suited to you. So many different ways suited to who you are. Your personality. Your character your gifts, your calling, and it's easy to bear. When you're flowing in your gifting and you're flowing in the purpose of God, I'm not saying there are no obstacles, but deep down there is a confidence, not self-confidence, but there's a sense of ease, and you can almost say, do you know what? I was made for this. That's the easy yoke. Then he says, learn from me, I'm gentle, humble, and you will find rest. This is a gentle, gentle relationship with God. What is gentleness? Strength under control. What is humility? Authority under control. And what is rest? Activity under control. If you drive a car, you'll know what I mean when you're you sit there, the engine's running, the gear's not engaging, but it's still running, waiting to be directed. 